Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, The Deep Dive, featuring your esteemed hosts, Andy Monitor and Drew Dinzik, powered by Betsperts. Welcome to The Deep Dive. NBA playoffs kind of already started. Uh, I mean, we had some play-ins, which aren't technically the playoffs, but boy, oh boy, has the entertainment factor been sky high uh i have enjoyed uh the um you know the initial start here quite substantially but we really get serious this weekend where uh we have four games saturday four games sunday um really really good playoff field this year some really good matchups um and a lot to talk about and so to uh to help us uh sort all this out uh shipper uh, at ship the justice on twitter who is uh, an advantage player of all sorts and a Really, I would say the um, a, a basketball content aficionado more so than anyone else. Uh, you know, really, really curated opinion when it comes to this is good basketball content. Which, which low posts is a good one? <laughs> which low posts are good and which are trash? And uh, you know, the proportions this season were not great, uh, unfortunately. But that's okay. We got uh, uh, we got some good ones in there. Um, first time uh, guest on the deep dive, Shipper. Welcome. Uh, thank you, Drew. Uh, yes, I am a, I am a, a low post aficionado. Um, I just I, I tilt every single time. Like they, they, every show is terrible. Uh, unless it's Kevin Pelton, <laughs> and then Kevin Pelton is incredible. Like how is it not just Kevin Pelton every single time? <laughs> I, I think m- maybe just resting on the laurels of having such a fucking good name for a for a show. Like he just kind of wandered into having a great name, but. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. Like Drew said, I picked in. I'm in Central Time. Like you're, I never like watching sports on the West Coast, but it's kind of nice for these games because, like, even I go to Timberwolves games. I kind of cheer for the Timberwolves. I still didn't stay up for the whole game. I'm like, they're gonna lose. It's, it's gonna be a pass. Like, it's like it shit started yeah. so late. I'm like, why would I stay up and watch them bungle this at this point? And honestly, yeah. it might be the same same thing tomorrow. But it, the, the, what I have taken in has been great. I'm super excited about it. It's the only part of the season I like. You uh, you you missed you you skipped a good a good quarter and overtime to skip i think yeah. uh because they set basketball back a good 10 years oh yeah i, uh, I caught up on the tweets or just the, it was brutal you um, go back in the in the nba chat we're in and you go back and scroll back through the people that were live you know commenting on the game the sure. night before it's like sure ooh. it's like it's like yeah. they're talking about a college game so what do you um, think is like the the true expectation of offensive efficiency for Minnesota in that fourth quarter and overtime? Like how oh. many do they get? How many good shots do they get? In, how many in seventeen did, minutes of they, seventeen did, minutes of basketball? Oh, it was it was pulling your hair out because you know if they had if they had been more physical, if they had been more aggressive, they weren't settling for garbage looks. Um, they probably could have gotten more whistles. Like people were all, everybody was tweeting about the disparity of free throws and stuff. And it was like, they, that was self-inflicted. Like they really and truly could have, they, you know, they, if the refs were, they were willing to call it two ways. That was not, you know, ref bias in my opinion. It was literally the Timberwolves running horrific offense. Uh, And like, I get it. Like they didn't, they, the Timberwolves are kind of one dimensional without, um, you know, without uh, all the bigs available. Um, and so maybe that was part of the problem. They felt like this is the only thing we can do. But um, yeah, that was that was really really rough. Um, the the I, before kind of getting into the playoffs though, and 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 kind of commenting on the state of the NBA. Um, 
I just want to kind of set set you up here as sort of the you know the subject matter expert that I know that you are when it comes to basketball because like it's really we don't we you know we we do two pods a week all NFL season talking NFL. We could do three if we felt like it. We could do five if we felt like it. I ended up doing five a week with Jay for NBC all season talking NFL just because I can do, you know, I, you know, I have enough of a base of knowledge to be able to do it. NBA is a lot tougher for me. Like I almost can only look at it through the lens of handicapping and, and numbers. And uh, I definitely don't understand the game to the degree that you do. Uh, what is your, your background? And would you say that uh, in terms of just, uh, um, you know, sub- subject matter expertise is basketball the top for you among all your, all the sports you play? Yeah, I mean, uh, outside of swimming, I think uh, swimming's got to be number one. That's the that's the common thread that you and I share, Drew. Is, uh, yeah, love love getting in and busting out a four hundred freestyle here and there. Uh, no, I I, uh, I played a little bit very poorly. Um, can't dribble with my left hand. Can't shoot jump shots. Uh, but um, I got into coaching kind of. Kind of early my uh, final year of college, I, I coached a JV team, and and fortunately we were really good. Uh, they, I was then the varsity coach of, of the same high school team again. We were really good just because the JV kids got a year older, and then they were good again. Uh, and then uh, was an assistant coach in the New Zealand National Basketball League. Uh, so I kind of um, wanted to do it as a bit of a career, um, and then. After you know figuring out that it wasn't going to make any money unless I got lucky and got a head coaching job in, in the league, um, needed to pivot elsewhere. And, and through that time, I was kind of betting all the time. And uh, and yeah, that's that's kind of where the subject matter uh, expertise comes from. But that being said, like like I probably listened to every single episode of Dunk on of all time. I've listened to every single episode. like I just like walk around with it in my ears like twenty four seven. I go to sleep with uh, a podcast on out loud. My lovely. Uh, my lovely fiance, she allows allows me to sleep with the uh, with with low post going in the in the background and and uh, yeah, it's it's very good. So I, I just I'm trying to consume as much content as possible, um, even if I don't think that any of it's any good. Um, yeah, just always try to learn about the NBA uh, and about basketball in general. I know you see people. It's one of those the dumb Twitter arguments where. People just, I think people just want to let people know that they read a Wikipedia article about the the green lumber fallacy. Be like, oh, you sure. know so much about one sport, that's not actually going to help you. You should just grind numbers and go top down. Like, no, like legitimately, basketball is freaking complicated when it when it comes down to it. Like, that's what I that's what I struggle with. Like, just to, especially when you get to the playoffs, and I talk to smart people, or even or even just Drew about like how much does the coaching matter in this series? And you know, I had people like Spoon have put us onto that. I mean, we talked about assistant coaches for a bunch. Sure. Shit, I mean, we had an assistant coach right here in the in the show with us, but it's there. <laughs> there is so much going on below the surface. Like, do you, do you think the coaching helps? Like, at, at some level, just getting you, I mean, thinking more about the the X's and O's of shit like that. Yeah, definitely. But it's probably more like the opportunity to talk to some really, really smart people. Um, okay. It's like, you know, you get in the sense. league and like, I, I, I really don't know that much. Like um, you are then able to discuss this with really high level coaches. Um, sure. Guys like, uh, there's a guy, Zico Coronel, who, who now coaches in Japan. Um, he went over and spent a couple of weeks with Mike D'Antoni just trying to, you know, learn the system there. And like, this guy's just a walking encyclopedia of basketball, you, you know, getting in the league means you talk to him all the time. And and these things are just like that you learn more in one day than you've learned the last like eight years trying to try to study this sort of stuff. So it's, it's just crazy. Like how much these coaches know, they just have yeah. no idea how, what the like effect size of, of things are. 
yeah. um, and things like that. And so that's where the bidding background like comes in and you can blend the two of those together. It's probably my favorite thing we've ever experienced. Like just getting to talk to people on and off the air is like when you really run into somebody like that, where it's like, holy shit, you know more about this than anyone I've ever talked to in my life. <laughs> it's like the, the saying, you don't know what yeah. you don't know. And sure. it's like, I mean, we've had conversations that have kept me up at night. It's like how little I knew about a subject until you talk to somebody who just lives it. And that's, I mean, it's funny. We talked like you just were talking about Adam Bourne off the air. Like one of the conversations we had with yeah. that guy after a Calcutta off the air and like yeah. the, the knowledge he was spitting at us one day. Yeah. 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 And I think like yeah. a, a really good example of that would be like, so Nate Duncan dude, does dunked on every single day, you know, produces 200, probably 300 hours of basketball content, like all about strategy. The only mm -hmm. thing he cares about is that he's like relatively clever, not amazing, but relatively clever, right? Like, and he's yeah. been on the forefront of basketball strategy the entire time. If he tried to coach the Minnesota Timberwolves, they would be running exactly what the Minnesota Timberwolves ended up running. Like, try, how are we going to get Cat a touch against Austin Reeves? Oh, we'll just chuck it to him against Austin Reeves, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. whereas the 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 people who are high level coaches, they're like, oh, I need Cat to do four or five things because this is exactly what the defense is going to do when he does this, and then I get a catch here. Like these people are, are thinking way, 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 way ahead of anything that we're thinking of. Oh, that's very cool. Um, yeah, I like I, you bring up Dunk, Dunk Don, and Dunk, Nate Duncan in general. Like, I there was one season where I was literally like, okay, my homework is to figure out what he's talking about. <laughs> like, I'm going to listen to this until I get it. Like, this is, you know, it'll make me smarter. It'll help me understand the game better. Um, but, like, you know, there's the the thing that I wish I had a little and it, it eventually didn't pay dividends at all. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a pick and roll, whatever. Like, it's it that doesn't mean anything to me really still. Um, but uh, the thing I wish I had a little bit better eye for, and I'm sure you do, because at least knowing, you know, seeing what, just in general, um, you know, your, your background affords you, but the ability to kind of evaluate players on like by eye is really, really, really tough. Like we can do it with quarterbacks in the NFL. Cause I know what to be looking at on any given play, right? Like you can kind of, you can get a sense of it. Uh, if you have a little bit of a, uh, you know, a decent background and I, I definitely don't have it for NBA players. Uh, and just, you know, do you feel like at this point, uh, you can look at a guy's, you know, just contributions on the floor and you're like, okay, that guy is a this, right? He will, you know, his arc, you know, his Darko arc is going to look like that. Like, you know, his he's most likely going to, you know, grow into this type of role. His most effective role is this and this team needs that or this team's going to not going to utilize that. Like, um, you know, when it comes to kind of mental model for uh, just coming up with, uh, you know, player level, um uh, you know, rating, uh, do you know what to look at and uh, kind of get that pretty quickly? Yeah, I think like the thing that it allows you to do is um, it fills in the blanks for you. So you see this guy, you know, you see Robert Covington's RAPM and then you're like, well, he kind of sucks in the box score. Like, what is he possibly doing? That's really, really valuable. That's showing up on the scoreboard, but it's not showing up on the box score. And so you're like, oh, he kind of like shoots it off movement and um, he, is really long and so he deters drives at the rim and and things like that and then you're like wait he can't like he can't really guard anybody and like the shot doesn't go in sometimes and so coaches think like you know quite often the casual observer will just think that he's bad and then but like the numbers tell me consistently like this guy is really good what am i missing and so it's being able to like probably see those 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 areas and then you're like oh well movement shooting must be really really valuable um just having size at the rim must be really valuable these things that you know, we think of, 
but then you can start to think about okay what's the effect size of this sort of thing and then you see like the opposite where avery bradley or davion mitchell or someone who, who like can put the cuffs on anybody um and look amazing guarding the ball but they sure. just don't make any impact to the scoreboard because you <laughs> start to figure out that that okay like guarding the ball must not just really be that valuable at all well, and it, it makes me think too, because and it's so valuable. Just in, the, and obviously, it's more of a. If you have good information, you're going to get good numbers because of you know guys sitting out, guys being injured too. But I think about like the comp, the analog to baseball pitching, and it's more of an eye test. I think Drew, you kind of hit it in football. It's more of an eye test sometimes where we can tell like this guy's not a hundred percent because he's not oh, yeah. doing yeah. what he's supposed to do. But you see it in baseball where it's like this pitcher is hurt because you can see spin rates, velocity, just, you know, the break on certain pitches. Or is there anything to that in the, you know, these granular stats or even the eye test in the NBA or, you know, basketball in general, I guess, where you're like, I don't think this guy's a hundred percent because this is what I expect from him. And it's just not happening. Yeah. I mean, there are things that correlate to um, athleticism. There are things that correlate to effort. Um, and so, when you see these statistics, um, you know, drop off or, or, or um, rise up, then you can kind of tell whether a guy is, is healthy or not. Um, offensive rebounding, uh, um, steals and blocks often are, are attributed to athleticism and you, and they kind of like drop off as, as a, as a career goes on as well. You know, Rudy Gobert this year, his, his block rate dropping off, that might not actually be that impactful, the block rate itself dropping off to, to his him as a player, but it's probably just what it indicates about his lack of athleticism or his, his athleticism waning. Um, and, and that is the impact that it's going to have on the floor. It's what it implies rather than what the blocks actually, with the blocks actually matter. Yeah, but I awesome. mean, we only traded like nine first round picks for him, so it's fine. It's fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> well, let me ask you: um, Do you watch the the Did you watch the full Thunder game last night? Uh, uh, I did. I did not. I was at a I okay. was at a dinner with uh, with okay. with your friend Jay Croucher and yeah, my okay. mutual friend uh, Diggs. Uh, okay. And we were actually yeah, yeah. As Jay tweeted, we sat down next to Nikola Jokic. Um, so a lot of lot of chat going on about uh about the, how the nuggets are going to fare this year and and um, hopefully Jokic just had his head down the whole time so <laughs> did, Jay, did Jay bring up the worst markets uh yeah obviously it was uh, it was a lot of ranting um about about the uh, idiocy of the voting um, yeah. but yeah yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well the vo voter the voting block is low IQ I don't know what to say um the um the so I was re I was asking you I was going to ask you about the thunder because it's like at different times in the game, you know, you look at the score sheet, you're like, you know, it, it was really tough to tell, like, who, if there was, you were going to give an MVP of the Thunder for that game, like, it was probably Lou Dort, which is insane because Giddy and Shea went back and forth having such incredible offensive contributions, but like, Dort really got in Ingram's space and it was, you know, it felt impactful in the game because, you know, for huge chunks, like the entire offense was best served going through Ingram for the Pelicans. They didn't have anything else really that was working for them. Um, you know, Trey, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, Murphy just, you know, eva you know, disappeared in the second half. Um, and I don't know, I guess, um, do, you know, do you, do you find that there are some things that are still missing when you look at some of the advanced statistics compared to, uh, you know, when you sit down and watch and, you know, kind of a high leverage game like that and, uh, you know, kind of have, draw some opinions about who you think matters most? Yeah, absolutely. There's obviously the, um, you know, if, if you take somebody's EPM or their DACA or whatever, whatever one all in one number metric or, or even an ensemble of these, um, that's how, what, how things play out on average. 
Um, if Lou Dort doesn't have anyone to guard, then he's probably not very valuable, right? Like he's just going to be like <laughs> denying the ball to Mike Conley or something. And it's like, well, it's not really that, you know, now the, now the team's playing four on four and yeah, you remove their best offensive player, but he's their best offensive player by like a tiny little bit or something like that, you know. Mike Conley is probably not a great example given. No, no, the, that's what's coming. Year, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> that's, 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 okay. the, that's the next. That's the next plan. <laughs> yeah, like he's gonna. So, so him, so him denying Anthony Edwards. Like, how much better is it for Anthony Edwards to get the ball and try and score in isolation against a random defender than like, okay, now daughter's like face guarding um, Edwards and you're playing four on four with Conley and Cat running pick and roll. Like that might actually just be a better offense. Um, so like, yeah. yeah, he can shut down that one guy and that can be quite valuable, but it, but it might only be valuable against the Pelicans where like they are screwed if Ingram isn't getting a catch. Um, and then it's like not valuable against the Wolves where they have some other things that they can potentially do. So yeah, like it kind of, it's all very contextual. Um, figuring that fit stuff out and like how much the matchup stuff is going to matter is like quite difficult because the thing is, is like everyone talks about matchups and I think matchups are important in the end and they're also very descriptive, backwards looking, they're very descriptive. But trying to predict it is quite difficult because, yeah, you're thought of the, you've thought of this sort of stuff, but the, of course the coaches have thought about this sort of stuff as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, Lou Dort's going to deny, like, deny the uh, a yeah. pass to, um, uh, yeah, he's going to deny a pass or whatever. So we know exactly what we're going to do to counter that. Um, so these guys have already thought through these sort of things. And so the matchups end up being different things than what you kind of ex had expected. Yeah. We, we say that all the time when we talk NFL too, we say, Hey, if, if two assholes on a podcast are talking about this, I'm <laughs> sure Andy Reid is aware that this might happen at some point, you know, things like that. And, you know, and it's funny too, that the context in which, cause I just don't, I, I listen to some Duncan because I like it. I think this was like two years ago, Drew. I was trying to take in a bunch of NBA content. It was mm. for the bubble. There was no other sports. I'm like, hey, I want to take in a bunch of NBA sure. content. Yeah. And I list. I had all day. I was like driving somewhere. I listened to like eight NBA podcasts. And God, it was horrible. First off, it was horrible. Like some of the <laughs> shit was just horrid. And I so then I asked you after like three because the rest queued up didn't seem any better. And I listened to some Duncan. Obviously, it was good. The strategy talk. He just disagrees with how every team plays. It seems like that. That was the episode I listened to, it, but it was good. There was some good context here. But the, like you're talking about the matchup thing, the NBA content I take in is just random tweets I see come across where somebody's explaining why they put together like a five leg same game parlay, and it's like, well, based on this matchup, like ants of ants going over his points and rebounds, of course. And it's like, so that's the context I see in the most. And obviously not, probably not how you're using it. I just wonder, you know, when you get to that point, you say like, here's how I think this works. It's like, if this defender's on ant, uh, if then, but the coach knows this too. Like, are you able to use previous situations with like two other similar teams in a, in a situation or, or what like Finch has done when he's faced defenders of that ilk or a team set up like that to kind of get a feel for here's what that coach does to counter that chess move. If then, and then this equals, this is the likely outcome for the Timberwolves offense today. Yeah. Like I just don't think that try, being in the business of trying to predict that is, is going to be that fruitful, like spending that much time trying to deal with that is ever going to be that valuable. Um, to, to sort of get on to like more of the, the, the main topic today, I, I spent some time like looking at 
what happened, what the difference is between regular season and playoffs, uh, sure. uh, playoff games, because like, you know, the typical way to that people would say to beat the NBA is, okay, you come up with the, your player ratings and you have typically this will just be an ensemble of all of the um, all-in-ones and then you project, project out minutes and then you have some other stuff that will go on home court, uh, rest, um, coaching sure. advantages, whatever, whatever, whatever. Like that's fine and good and that's all going to work in the regular season when you have these teams playing against each other. But like, but I think if I'm going in and this is kind of the point of this podcast is to try, okay, how do you figure out how to beat the NBA playoffs? So it's yeah. very liquid market. It's a beast, right? Like if you're just like taking these all-in-one ensembles, you've got no shot. That's already like in the market. Um, you get a really, really struggle. So what are some unique things that we can think about uh, how to go and uh, how to go about it here? So today I, I was taking a look and, 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 you know, intuition says that um, we get, more switching in the playoffs we get um you know teams start to go smaller um and you know centers get played off the floor blah blah yes. blah blah blah. and so now how can we like back that up by numbers and then what actually happens in these situations so um the long and short of it really the, of, of what it spat out was that isolation scoring increases um and then the system mm -hmm. buckets decrease so system buckets being guys running off of screens for threes um you know, dribble handoffs to get Tyler Hero a shot or Max Struess a shot or whatever, like that, all that bullshit, it all goes away. Like, you know, Duncan Robinson running off three screens, like the guy trailing him might get nailed because he doesn't know the screens there. The coach in the playoffs, the coaches scouted that and they know exactly what to do. And, you yeah. know, even the dumbest defenders get become quite good in the playoffs, uh, guarding, guarding man like Dion Waiters, J.R. Smith. These guys yeah. have all gone from being like complete idiots in the in the regular season, and then like J.R. Smith just has the cuffs on on Clay Thompson because <laughs> the stuff that Clay Thompson is like running in the regular season, you know, all this random movement that all this bullshit um, random movement that that um, Golden State runs just does not work in in the playoffs. Like it works when Steph is doing some stuff, but like Clay doing a split cut and hoping that a, a player falls asleep, blah blah blah. Like that stuff just doesn't work, and so now like how do we go about exploiting that so one of one like i kind of didn't really get to many answers when i was figuring out these questions but kind of what i wanted to ask some of you guys is is you know if we know if we now know that the data shows that we're going to have you know centers get played off the floor a little mm -hmm. bit um you need more mm -hmm. you need more switching and you need um more you probably need some guys who can score in isolation like how do we how would you go about um you know, tailor changing your all-in-one metrics or your ratings from that, from there. Yeah, I, I mean, just, just in real <laughs> I mean, quick, you know, I don't, I don't make NBA numbers. I don't bet NBA during yeah. the season. I don't want to like, I, I, cause I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth and say that, you know, the, the real, you know, also minimalizing everything you just said was like, it's not that just defense gets better or it's easier to plan defense because, I mean, your, your defensive yeah. assignment, you, well, I mean, a little bit, I guess your defensive assignment for the next half a dozen games becomes very, you know, essentially the same guy. Yeah. And, you know, but in, you know, in my head and thinking to the analogs in football, defense is so reactive. Like, isn't there, you know, in, at the simplest level in my pea brain on this, it would just think like, why, why aren't we able to figure out different things on offense too? If you have the same, I have the same defensive sets, the same defensive matchups for the next four to seven games. Is it, and is it, is the answer just like, well, ISO becomes easier in that. 
doesn't become easier, but it becomes more important. Okay. Right. No, and that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly right, and that's what yeah. the, that's what the data shows too. Is is that ISO yeah. definitely does not become more efficient. It's just no. that you, ha you, you have, have to have do it. more yeah. of it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because, and, it, and the yeah, thing okay. is, is that then so that so yeah, the numbers show that that more people have to you know you have to ISO more or like in the playoffs, even if you take a weighted average of what they did in the regular season versus what they do in the playoffs, like teams isolate more as they get into the playoffs, but. The teams that are really good are the ones who don't have to ISO because their shit is still working. Right. So it's like a really weird dichotomy where like, oh, yeah, you need good ISO guys because you're going to have to ISO more. But ideally, you don't have to ISO. Your stuff just still works. Like, sure, they can't sure. take you out of it. Like, And that was why the Warriors, you know, when KD was, was there, they were so, you know, unguardable. And the only thing that you could possibly do was just switch every time because it's the only way to get them out of their stuff. And if you don't yeah. get them out of this stuff, they are going to score a million points. Um, yeah. The um, the other problem with that, and like, okay, so let's. The other thing about ISO is that like, there's some players. There's only a handful of guys that can really do it well. Well, um, true. I mean, just question for either yeah, of you is, yeah. is like, yeah. is there examples of this during the regular season where it's like, hey, this was a game because you, you can see it. I mean, even just casual observers, like, oh, they don't give a shit about this game because it's December. But there are games during the regular season where it's like, man, they they game planned, they ramped up, like they're was, they're running, they're you're, running. You're this talking game like you're talking like two percent, maybe. Yeah, it's, like it's, 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 it is it's a it is really a small, small sample, number. but there are, <laughs> it is there a are, really small. There number. are examples of games, and it's like, is there anything to take away from those games? Yeah, when you get to playoff time, it's like, well, yeah, this I, team like, is able to get around. Yeah. A, no, a I like. A good, I guess a good example would be like if you get a two-three matchup in the East between the Celtics and this and the Sixers. Um, they played a game right around right before the Super Bowl. And that was like in the 2% where they really care. Both teams really were, you know, kind of showing their hand a I little bit. I wish they'd right? let you know ahead of time because I didn't watch those <laughs> ones. Well, you can, yeah, you can still find that <laughs> tape. I mean, just, it's out there. <laughs> but, I, I know, no, but I'd you know, watch it live. Like, I, I definitely remember sitting down and watching that one and being like, oh man, the Sixers are screwed. Like, if they run into the Celtics in the playoffs, they don't have answers for that, that, or that. Like, they're done. Like, they just, they're not going to be able to solve this. Cause I, you know, I, I think of a playoff series in basketball a lot as this is a puzzle for the coach and the staff to solve, right? Like, the, your opponent is solvable, presumably, right? Like if, if it's the KD Warriors, it's not, but otherwise, you know, it's solvable. Um, and, you know, it takes some time, you know, the good coaches can figure it out in two, three, four games, like you've seen it all. And then games five, six, and seven just become what small adjustments can you make? What tendency breakers can you introduce? Um, and, you know, the, the teams that have good tendency breakers i think are just teams that in general surprise in series uh teams that have more you know just multiplicity um so i guess a good example is and like i feel stupid because i didn't make any money on this yesterday watching thunder uh pelicans but like going into that game i was basically like you know at some point in this game the pelicans are going to figure out that they have to double sga on iso like they have to like they, they're going to figure that out and then the Thunder offense is going to dry up to nothing, right? Like that's kind of the way this is going to go. Watch the first half. There was very, very, very little SGA ISO by maybe by design because Digano maybe is a really good coach. Uh, and he was basically like, 
I'm just going to put this in my back pocket and save it for the third quarter. And as long as we're kind of within reach at halftime, we're going to be able to close the gap and maybe take a lead into the fourth quarter. And that's kind of exactly what I saw play out in the most of the third quarter. Now, SGA played, uh, you know, he, he, he broke tendency also in terms of his rotation. SGA played almost the entirety of the third quarter, set out very little bit uh, in the fourth and then was right back on the floor. Uh, and so it was like it was a little bit of a caught him, you know, caught, you know, green by surprise, I thought. And if he had rolled out with just heavy ISO SGA in the first quarter and then at halftime, green can be like, OK, now we know we got to double him from here on in. Like, you know, the your basic if if I if just if you if we had seen a lot of that in the first half, I would have been like, oh, my God, Pelican second half thunder, you know, under second half under. Thunder are going to score 40 points here because as soon as they make that adjustment, like this game's over and a lot way, of playoff games go that way. The way they bust it. Uh, I did actually, I caught the last six minutes of the game um, at a, at a, at a bar. Um, and the way that they busted it was they had Giddy playing center and setting screens. Uh, and so he would slip and, you know, they double, they double Shea really high and like Giddy getting the ball four on three is like a disaster for the defense, right? Like this guy's an amazing passer. Um, you know, that's, he's essentially just perfect in, as a dream on green in that position. Uh, and, and that was just like so easy for them. And that was how they scored down the stretches. They just, they had Giddy uh, as the screen or the release valve. Um, and so like, that's the thing. It's like, okay, yeah, sweet. Like you might, we might be able to think about the first um, thing that happens and like the first counter that the, that the coaches may put in it, but like the other coach is really smart and like he will yeah. figure out how to counter it. And like, yeah. maybe he won't, but maybe he will as well. And so like these trying to figure out these like macro or sorry, sorry, these micro adjustments, I think can can get you in a little bit of trouble because it, it boils things down into one state. And you're like, oh, my God, this coach has just thought of something that I could never think of. It's like when, um, you know, AI, like when AI figured out how to play Go or chess or whatever, they just do this <laughs> like crazy shit. And you're like, oh, man, I like had no chance of thinking of that. Um, so the game set is just completely different to what I could have expected. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it, it's, uh, it's a couple points that you made that I, I can build on a little bit. Uh, you're right. A hundred percent right. That if a team doesn't have to go there, they don't want to. Um, and if you can get by with a four, zero, four, one early in the playoffs, cause you're that much better than your opponent and you don't really have to, uh, kind of give away your strategy. Um, that's huge, huge advantage. Keep all that in your back pocket. That's why you know playoff mat, you know pl playoff path is is pretty important. Um, and uh, and I think you know the length of the series and matters an enormous amount. Um, game one and game, you know, like every game of a series has like a different. This is what to expect based on the current, you know, the current win loss, the current situation. Um, that's why like they can. And I say this like I don't think there will I, I don't know that they will ever price this correctly, but the team that's down 0-2 going home in the first half, like whatever that coach has got in his back pocket, every single adjustment he could possibly think to introduce, he's got to deploy it all. Like he's yeah. out of time. That's You're, like the one you know, that's like the one thing I know about the NBA playoffs. Like, yeah. The O2 going home. Yeah. And, and it, ma it makes me people people are like yeah because the crowd's giving them energy because they want to win more at home. Yeah, it's the, like no no it's, you don't want to go down oh three yeah, um, no but it, it, it makes <laughs> me think and I, I, i'm using entry point kind of as a 
I don't know, a generalized term here because maybe, maybe by entry point, I mean, you're betting X amount on a game because you think the number's wrong or you think that, you know, whatever you, whatever you're, you're entering on game one, game two, like entry point being like, all right, they've solved this. They've solved this. I really just don't think the other coach is, is going to solve the other things. And the fact is these playoff series, they become anchored to the opening numbers. Like you're just never going to, and you know, obviously a huge injury can change things. Durant gets hurt in one of those Warriors series and the numbers changing, but it's so anchored to the opening or actually, you know, the closing numbers in game one, you're not going to stray far from that. And I think you, you see people, I've seen smart people make really good bets late in the series because it's like, well, to you know, the the market's just not going to move far enough for what yeah. we've seen. The and total what's happening. can never go down enough for some series, right? Yeah. If it I, starts at if it starts at two thirty five and that gets to a game seven, like you're, it almost guarantee you under is a plus EV bet because it can never really get low enough to what it ought to be. As far as I can tell you, the further and further into the series that you get, the the further and further it gets away from like what you, what the like team's normal type of basketball is and like the reason for that is as you say it's all a puzzle and it just gets solved 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 it's like fuck everything's solved what am i gonna do i'm gonna isolate i'm gonna like go and target their worst offender and i'm gonna try and force (laughs) a switch uh because they're switching everything and if they don't switch like we have all these counters and we're just gonna score and like like the um the finals last year was like a really good example and this is why the warriors are so like this is why one player is worth so much on a team like the Warriors is like they, you know, their best five that they had out there with uh, with Wiggins and and Draymond and uh, and Clay, Steph, and then Looney, they're going like uh, Boston are going down every single time, and their only possible choice is to go try and get Steph. Like that's it. That's the only thing you can do. The Warriors like pre-switch the shit out of it, um, so <laughs> then you like yeah. only get Steph with six seconds to go. It's like, yeah. how efficient is this? Poss- is it go- is it possibly going to be? And then, like, okay, if you don't have Wiggins in there and you have Paul, now you have two spots to pick at. Yeah. You get it faster, and like Paul's a worse defender, so you get it. Like, it's really hard for them to keep two guys out of the action all the time. You're getting Paul on Tatum with 14 seconds. Like the offensive efficiency difference between getting Steph with six seconds and getting Paul with 14 seconds is probably legitimately like 15 points per hundred positions, something That's like that. Crazy. Uh, yeah. and, and so, and so, like that is why just having one extra defender and like it all compounds. You know, if you have four guys getting the fifth guy that can also guard, or like you know having four guys that can guard instead of three, like it's all really exponential. It's like cluster injuries in the NFL, I suppose. And like that was kind of the thing. One of the takeaways that I had from looking at the, these numbers today is like getting if if you can't put five switchable defenders on the quarter or at least four switchable defenders where like you can keep guys out of the matchup for for plenty of time until it's late clock and then it's like okay we can kind of deal with this mm-hmm. um if you can't do that you're probably going to struggle defensively um, and you're going to d- just struggle, struggle quite a lot defensively yeah. i think in the playoffs okay now um, this make as things yeah. get deeper sorry this may, this may come across this as is not sombers. making me feel good about my rules, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, we're done. Well, get the this, nuggets. It's not going to go well. This may, uh, this may, may, this may come across as sour grapes because I lost a uh, a decent amount on the finals last year backing the Celtics. Um, the Warriors, I feel like, were humongous beneficiaries of the fact that they didn't really have. There wasn't really a good way to scout them. 
there wasn't a lot really known about what that, you know, core was going to play like, because I think that, you know, going into the playoffs and this was one of the more talked about things, they've played 10 minutes together all season, right? Like it was a little bit of like a huge unknown as to exactly what Kerr was going to do rotationally. And I, I honestly don't have especially high grade on Kerr as far as a coach goes. I think a lot of it is on court coaching by Steph, but that's maybe, you know, a little bit of a bias, um, a little bit of a blind spot, who knows? Uh, but the, um, you know, I think, the Warriors benefited tremendously from being a little bit of an unknown quantity. And I think they benefited tremendously from just in general. Uh, last season was almost entirely about fatigue from what I can tell you. The teams that, you know, had gas in the tank late were just better. They, they just were. Um, and, you know, the Celtics played too hard, too many games, too, too many minutes for their key guys down the stretch of the regular season. Um, played too deep into the Bucks series and the Heat series. Um, and it all came to a head there because like the Warriors barely had to lift a finger to get through the West. They, you know, they, they their, you know, key guys played a third of the amount of basketball uh, as the Celtics over the balance of the season, including the playoffs. And you know, I think it all manifests in, you know, just huge advantages in those small areas because otherwise I'd still think the Celtics were a better team. Um, but well, I mean, Drew, what, yeah. what goes to shit when you have tired legs besides your jump shot? Like it's yeah, defense, defensive effort, all kinds of yeah. that. Yeah. You know, and, you know, it's it's a it's it's a it's what's it's it's a it's over. So it's stupid to, to bellyache about it. But if we take the lessons learned there and we carried forward into this season, uh, isn't it insane to think that the uh, Phoenix Suns are not last year's Warriors? I mean, potentially, uh, it, it is kind of hard to say uh, on that front. I think I think the one thing more than fatigue is like you have like two game states. Uh, yeah, I think the the Celtics are better than the Warriors when they're playing like real basketball where like you're running normal stuff sure. and like that the answer isn't like pick on the worst defender every time. But like when it got to, when it gets down to playing um, late series basketball, which that's not real basketball. Literally you just like, you just like point at the worst defender every time. And he, he goes and, and his guy goes and sets a screen and like the other team is like scrambling to make sure that he doesn't have to defend the screen for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And like, I went to game five in person in uh, San Francisco um, in a 2-2 series and like that was genuinely every single time down the floor there's like point 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 and like they're just sprinting up to set a screen and that like so I think early in series and early in um early in rounds you're gonna get okay which team is better at real basketball we can look at you know we can look at a lot of stuff that's um we can look at a lot of stuff that's just like normal basketball another good example of this is like the Mavericks against Phoenix, right? Yeah, when sure. the Mavericks uh, were playing like normal basketball, they were screwed. <laughs> they were screwed against Phoenix. Phoenix is yes. an amazing normal basketball team. Yes. Now, what happens when like, oh, Chris Paul has to guard like Jalen Brunson with five guys spread out? Like, mm -hmm. it's probably not going to happen. Um, so once they figure out how to play a game that's just like not like completely non-representative of what they were doing throughout the regular season, that's when the series can change. And so like trying to figure out who's going to win normal basketball is good. And that's going to help you. Um, that's going to help you figure out the, the first part of the series. 
And then you have to figure out, okay, what's the chance that it's going to descend into non-normal basketball, the, the isolation attack basketball, yeah. and then what happens in that situation? I, I had something written down too, and I, I did talk about the, uh, you know, like you talk about solving the puzzle. And then if you think you've had, you know, if you think you're smarter than the market, I guess at that point, or you've solved something, you see something and the, the number is still anchored and you, you make some attack points later in the series. But I often wonder too about like just the perception of a team after they've won a series and move on and you end up in this next series and you have that, like you, you keep saying, you, I think you invented a term. Uh, just normal, but normal basketball. It's not really a great catchphrase, but like you, I get where you're going with it. But when you enter that next series and there's, there's perception built around you from the previous one, I feel like sometimes you see some good angles. I keep thinking about, I've, I've brought them up a couple of times. I don't think it matters if it's the Timberwolves or the, you know, a bunch of 18 year old kids and the thunder that get to play. Like the nuggets should probably just beat the shit out of a team and then the fact that they don't have like a bench isn't going to mm-hmm. matter all that much against the eighth seed. And then you get this perception built in, uh, you know, obviously everyone knows it. it's not like, the, it's not like I'm saying the nuggets are a bad team, but they just, you know, every team has their flaws. Like, is there, is there something to that early on in the series? If you see like, just, Hey, they played somebody who just, it was a shitty coach. He didn't make the right adjustments. He was never going to make the right adjustments. It wasn't the right team to make the adjustments. And even stepping into game one where they're more back to square one playing normal basketball per se, it's like, is there, is there an advantage early in the series or, I mean, in a series price even? Yeah, I think maybe um, the, the Nuggets in particular are quite interesting where um, they are a great normal basketball team, or at least their top lineups are great normal basketball teams. Um, offensively, I think when it comes to isolation basketball, when it comes, when it gets to like late series basketball, they'll be good too. I looked, I tried to look at, cause post-ups typically drop off when you get into the playoffs, it's hardly into the ball in the post. But, um, uh, the, the thing that I actually took away from it is, is not that really that post-ups decrease so much. It's just that getting your best player, the ball in a, in a um in the position that he likes the ball is what is going to increase like when you can't do all your other stuff it just ends up being like Jokic gets a post catch um because like okay we need to get our best player the ball and we need to try to pick a matchup that he's going to be able to uh take care uh, take advantage of it's again like same thing um in the Boston series Tate, they have to try to get Tatum the ball and ISO like that's all they can really do um looking at last year's data the um the nuggets went from uh, 8% post frequency throughout the season to 14% in the playoffs. And that was because they just chucked it to the big fella every time. And like, yeah, they lost in five games, but the offensive efficiency was really good. And like, they were the only team that could score on, on the, on the Warriors. Um, and that's just because, you know, they could still get Jokic the ball. So they're going to be really good at normal basketball. I think they're going to still be good at, uh, at isolation basketball. The other, the other end though is is very different. Like, yeah. um, you know, in terms of dealing with isolation stuff, defensively they may be not so good. Like, what what's yeah. Contavious Caldwell Pope really good at chasing guys off screens? Like, is that as valuable in the playoffs? Like, even dumb guys know how to screen navigate in the playoffs. So his like defensive intelligence, getting over picks, not as valuable. Bruce Brown, similar thing. But those guys can also like you know. But Contavious Caldwell Pope can get picked on in the post. He can, if if you have a, a strong guy, they, they might just go at him in the block. So he he's going to probably be less valuable defensively. And then you have the flip side of that, like Michael Porter Jr., who's like, you know, pretty dumb 
defensively um, and can't get over a screen to save himself. Like he's just too tall and like too lanky. Yep. Like when he's super locked in and he knows the screen's coming, he might be quite good because he's long and he's um, he's not that not that quick. But if he's like able to get down in the stance to defend, he is a little bit better on the ball uh, than than what he's given credit for. So you know he's going to improve defensively. Corbell Pope Brown maybe um, are not so good defensively. Hmm. Murray probably gets better defensively, and then Jokic gets way worse, obviously, uh, yeah. because of attacking him in the ISO or in pick and roll is uh, is not so good. So I think the nug on the Nuggets specifically, and this is kind of like a good way to talk through teams here, sure. is um, is that they're going to be good at normal basketball, probably quite good at um, at uh, isolation basketball offensively, but but probably worse defensively uh, in terms of isolation basketball. Okay. It, it, can, it kind of sounds like and. You know, you're solving some of these puzzles or part of it ahead of time with like just what you said about like, here's my prognostications about how teams will be early series, mid series. It's almost like a chess game, mid game, late, late series, and like how the teams will be both sides of the ball efficiencies, you know, adjusting to the style of basketball mm -hmm. and these matchups. And almost and drawing it back to betting just in my brain now, it seems like totals would be very attackable if you oh. can if you can exploit this more, more way oh, more yeah. so than than sides or even series prices at this point then i i strongly agree with that okay. sentiment in general like i think uh over the regular season i think my action was 95 percent sides and in the playoffs it's going to be 50 50 or 60 40 totals i would guess just in the blind um the uh points about the nuggets are all super fair uh, let's kind of hit a couple of these other teams because I'm curious your thoughts if you agree or if you have a different read here. And I want to go back to the Suns to start with. So you're you were 100% right, correct when it devolved into chaos basketball at the end of that Maverick series. That team was cooked. Um, there was obviously some other X factors, but it didn't matter. Like as soon as the this the, I think it was Game Four, the refs really put their finger on the scale to make sure that that was a longer series from recollection. Uh, and then as soon as that happened, I was like, "Oh Christ! Like this is gonna this is I was you know you know cold cold uh, you know ice in the veins like oh shit like you know goosebumps whatever like I'm, I'm in trouble." Um, so I had a lot of Suns too, <laughs> a lot of Suns and a lot of Celtics last year. So it was not a great not a great uh, postseason for me. Um, but the um, uh, the bigger problem even than they could they, you know the mavericks were going to score into the 120s every time was their offense devolved into like working really hard to get chris paul a contested mid-range and it was just like you saw it and you're like holy shit this is this is what they're you know, this is what they're forced to do like you know the other team you know took booker away to an extent and it's like oh my god like we're really counting on this happening over and over and over again this is super fragile well, now plan B is Kevin Durant, go get your shot. Like that's one of the, been one of the most unstoppable playoff, uh, you know, offensive sets of my, you know, professional watching basketball career. Um, that feels like a pretty good plan B. Uh, and I, I, I just, I, I think they're maybe they're still um, susceptible defensively in chaos basketball in the late series, but uh, I really don't know how you're stopping that team offensively. Uh, in games five, six, seven, is that is that a fair read? I think that that aligns with um, conventional wisdom and probably what I would say to um, you know. You think back to what um, Durant was able to do in Milwaukee uh, when he was when he was in Brooklyn, um, and then you try to contrast it with what happened last year against uh, against Boston, where. 
Boston were able to be really, really physical um, and try to deny Durant any sort of position. Um, and you, you've got to think that that's like the only way that you can combat um, you, you can combat uh, Phoenix's like isolation attack. Um, but it, but the thing is, is, if you do that, you still have three very capable offensive players on the floor. Um, and and you know if they are able to just go away from Durant a little bit, that offense is probably still going to be pretty good. Like if you have to sell out really hard to to dealing with Durant, um, that that offense is still going to yeah, be Booker good. Is so going yeah, to crush you right. Yeah, opinion. yeah, like you can just like run, you know, they can play normalish basketball if yeah, they're playing right. four on four. So, yes. yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's, the, the, yeah, the hard thing is, is like, are they going to be playing four on four? Like, is Josh Okoge going to be able to make enough shots? Like, you know, or do you have to play like Landry Shamit and then you're pretty flammable defensively? Like, do you have Shamit <laughs> sure. out there? Um, you know, Terrence Ross, like, like all of their other options are just like very, very flammable defensively. Uh, so like, you know, can you can you can you deal with it? Hopefully, you, you know, if you're Phoenix, you've got to hope that a Kogi uh, or or uh, Tory Craig or someone one of these. Tory Craig played New Zealand NBA by the way when I was uh, when I was coaching. Them. No way. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So Tory Craig, um, you know, one of these options can actually play so that defensively you don't have like a whole bunch of picking spots because you know that guys are going to try and spread Chris Paul out, who is you know a good regular season defender, but like. Okay isolation at all so okay okay that's that all sounds fair let's talk about one more west matchup because i feel like we might be on opposite sides of this one grizzlies lakers is interesting in a lot of ways and i know that i i look at it as if this is a short series it's because the grizzlies are just that much better they are that much more you know just more complete uh and capable you know and and you know by the way there's non-trivial injury risk that LeBron doesn't play, that AD doesn't play, that, uh, you know, that this becomes a series of let's hope Austin Reeves can really get us through here. Um, and, you know, it's just it's they're just way too fragile. And there's a realistic chance that just normal basketball Grizzlies win, in my opinion. Um, and then if this becomes it devolves into, a, you know, like, a uh, you know, a chaos kind of series, I look at the. I look at the kind of this, what people perceive as the strength of the Lakers, which is like a top 10 defense, and I think of it as. A little bit Jekyll and Hyde, like against teams that don't have dynamic ways to attack you, that defense is very, very good. Um, but if you have kind of multiple, you know, avenues of mass, you know, of, of you know, of max pain, you can inflict, they can be beat. Um, and I've seen it a bunch, even as, with their current iteration this season. Um, and it's effectively what r ran them out of the series against Phoenix a couple of years ago um, in the playoffs. And so, you know, I look at the defense as a little bit, uh, you know, potentially exposable. And I look at the offense as super one-dimensional. Like, I don't really know what you do if plan A is not working. Um, am I anywhere close to the right track here? And, or do you think that there is some, something specific about this version of the Lakers that makes them better than like two years ago that just got embarrassed by the Suns? The hard thing is with the Lakers is is defensively you saw obviously what they could do to, to Minnesota when it became isolation basketball in the fourth quarter. Um, a, a lot of that is Minnesota, but also a lot of that is is Los Angeles, and they they are really good at defending power guys. Uh, I think like you know LeBron is like great at defending a power guy. Um, uh, Anthony Davis great at defending a power guy. And like, if you don't have like the really big wing that can go at Dennis Schroeder, like 
he's probably the only spot you can pick at if you have a power guy. Like if you had Kawhi Leonard, like he's going to call up Dennis Schroeder every single time. Yeah. Um, and and like, but then they can def- then they can like have D'Angelo Russell defend, uh, like get out there as well. And he's better at defending power guys than he is at defending um, smaller, quick guys. Now, you know, if you have if you are playing Memphis, what do you have to deal with? You have to deal with Morant getting downhill. Speed, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, like, Schroeder is, is quite good in that situation. Like, Austin Reeves is, like, quite good at dealing with that. Like, but which you probably have to have Vanderbilt out there because if you have Hachimura, Hachimura has zero chance defending um, John Morant and, D- and D'Angelo Russell has zero chance defending John Morant. So it means that you have to play Schroeder a lot, way less D'Lo, uh, and way less Hachimura. And so, like, that just means that the Lakers' offense is going to be terrible if, if you have, uh, you know, no D'Lo, you have no, um, you know, and you have to have Vanderbilt on, on the floor. Like, it's hard to see the Lakers dealing with, like, a, a quick point-of-attack type guy uh, whilst being able to keep enough offense on the floor to win. So I think, like, if you're trying to, like, you know, look at this through the lens of, of matchups beyond uh, talent levels – then I think this is a pretty good one for Morant. Um, you know, I think the Lakers are, are you know, a, an elite defense uh, when, it, okay. when it comes to, again, defending power guys and, and especially defending in isolation against, against power guys. They put so much length on the back line. Uh, that makes it really, really difficult. But in terms of defending, like, those jitterbug quick point guards, maybe they might struggle a little bit. Okay. I got to tell you, Ham's not my guy either. Um, a lot of games this year that he cost them and or – you know, put games in jeopardy that they should have won relatively easily with a couple of decisions late in game. So just we'll see how he equips, you know, how he uh, uh, handles himself in the playoffs. I know one comeback win against the mighty Timberwolves who never, never give, you know, never. You know relinquish My leads God. ever. <laughs> you remember the playoff series last year? Oh God. It was the well. first year. My, my well. daughter really became a basketball fan and she just didn't understand like how often that happens. And maybe it doesn't happen that often, but like, that that whole series, she was just dying. She's like, "We were just up by twenty five, Dad." I'm like, "Yeah, we're we're gonna do this apparently." And also, like, am I am I imagining things too? Like, when was how long ago was Westbrook like favorite for six man of the year? Oh, it was a lot of the season. Was yeah. that like Christmas? I mean, that yeah. wasn't even no that long into ago. January. Yeah, into it feels January. like a fever. I had to think. I'm like, was yeah. that two years ago? It feels so long ago. Yeah, that was. It turns out betting Emmanuel quickly was not the way to make money in the six man market. It was being a ticket writer and writing minus two hundred Westbrook tickets yeah. for six man of the year because that was an absolutely ridiculous price. <laughs> but um, anyone else in the West that you have strong opinions on one way or the other? Uh, not particularly. I don't think. I think. I think the the other the one other thing you want to touch on is like everyone thinks Denver's going to get worse because Jokic uh, can't guard it uh, and pick and roll, and when it gets to isolation basketball, he's going to really struggle. Which like yeah, that probably makes some sense. And I think again, defensively, he's probably going to be worse in the playoffs than what he is uh, in the regular season. But he's also going to play more minutes, uh, yeah, and right. playing more minutes is is that might even outweigh just yeah. him being worse defensively. And so like it is. It, like impossible to describe how terrible this Nuggets bench is. Like they are, they, they are the worst bench of any good team ever. Probably like they're probably worse than the than the LeBron Wade Bosch Heat um, bench. They're probably worse than like any of the Warriors. Uh, I mean, the Warriors probably Warriors like, bench was amazing. Okay. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, Warriors yeah. bench was always so, good. Yeah, like you know, you're trying to think of these really shallow teams, and like 
oh, the team with one all star like is that is that a shallow shallow you know shallow team like but but yeah you, you look at you look at this bench and like after you get to Bruce Brown is there a single like you know, would Evan Fournier be the seventh best player on this team? Like, you know, there's a, not like maybe maybe not Evan Fournier, but it'd be it'd be pretty close. Like, this team is so bad after you get past six, and like Christian Brown can do some things that are like kind of valuable, but he can't shoot and he can't like do much else yeah. other than guard the ball. Um, yeah. And then like after you get past him, it is it is bleak. Uh, so, but that matters in the regular season. Does it matter that much in the playoffs where you can like literally play six guys? Where like you know the that Bucks versus Nets series, Bud played six guys the entire entire game um, for like the last four games of the series. So yeah, like I think that effect of playing better players more minutes might might outweigh the like regression from Jokic defensively. So we may be sleeping a little bit on the Nuggets. Okay, okay. Um, I will also do, say. Do you that, think teams yeah. are that self aware? Like. I don't even know what the Nuggets coach's name is, Drew. Malone. That's, that's, yeah. Oh yeah, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think he's self-aware enough to realize like how just how how historically bad the bench is? Yes. And like, yeah. well, and, that, and that's where I wonder, like, because <laughs> yeah. we see this yeah. every year. It's like, and I joked about this with Noobs this morning. I'm like, a gentleman's sweep is, you know, it's tongue in cheek saying like, oh, we let him have a game because we're gentlemanly. No, it's like, hey, we we let the foot off the gas because we're either looking ahead or it was a travel spot and maybe we didn't play starters as much. Like, do you, if you're the Nuggets, do you just put your foot down and grind someone to try to avoid five or six games in like the first two rounds? So you don't, I mean, it, playing a guy for like 44 minutes in, you know, four games is probably better than 40 minutes yeah. in five or six games, just because like the, the freshness of getting to that next year is having like three, four or five days yeah. off because you're waiting for other series to finish. Like, do you try to finish off teams like hard and fast if you're a team like this? So, so Jokic is there's, we know, we know what he is in this environment with 44 minutes. He is a marathon man. He can fucking do it. He is, he's the Cam Nori of the uh, of the NBA. He just he wants he wants to make the match longer for no reason at all. He wants to make it five sets, right? Um you know, he and I, I you think of uh what was it? Four overtimes against the uh uh four overtimes against the Blazers. I think he played 60 minutes in that game and literally you're like what is Malone doing? He's going to kill this guy. Like he's that he doesn't look like he's in great shape, but for whatever reason he's got endurance to go long and strong. And I I would say um you don't really have to worry about, you know, kind of tread on the tires unless he's dealing with more of an injury than we realize, which is possible. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I think the point is fair. You give him more minutes, he's going to be fine. Uh, and in general, that uh, that makes your overall team rating like substantially better <laughs> because you're not playing the other guys. Um, that said, Jamal Murray, not the same guy that was in the bubble that was super dynamic as a, as a Robin to Jokic's Batman and, you know, it's if I, I think realistically, if the Nuggets realize any potential, it's Murray looks like Bubble Murray and not like you know what he has looked like for long stretches of this regular season. So tough to say, but uh, you know, Suns. Uh, I think Suns. Suns Nuggets. You agree is second round matchup. We're gonna we're gonna send the Clippers yeah. back in. Yeah, yeah, okay. well, almost certainly. It's like okay. not, probably like ninety three percent for the, the Nuggets, and then you know like yeah. 85% for Yeah, the, so the best advice you can give you is watch all of the Nuggets 
round one series, watch all the Suns round one series and just get a feel for, you know, what, you know, what those teams are doing when the going gets tough, what's working, what's not. Cause that, that second round Suns nuggets is going the distance. I don't think any of us would be surprised uh, if that goes for uh, Suns nuggets was f- a sweep two years ago, three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You remember yeah, sweep. Uh, and that, that was, was a, the, that was, was the Suns in four. Yeah, Chris Paul just like absolutely killed uh, Jokic and and drop coverage. But the thing is, is like since then, so so one of the one of the things, uh, Nikias Duncan, who's like one of the good low post guests uh, from this year, he um he he said a thing about Jokic where like Jokic is not a bad defender; he's just a very limited one. And sure. like it's it like if you play him in drop coverage, he's like I think from the article that I read, uh, it was something like they defended like a twenty fourth. Um, best in, at defending pick and roll in the NBA. If he plays up at the level of the ball, it's like top five. Uh, and like the other thing with Jokic is like people think that he's not the type of player to have like an on-off switch, but he's so limited athletically that I think that he has to be at full go. Otherwise, they just like stink. And so like I think there's something to them having the best defensive rating in the club's last two years because when he is full go – then and like the other players are like trying so hard to help him like he's they're actually like a pretty good defensive unit so yeah like again i do think they're going to get worse in the playoffs defensively but there's like there are scenarios for sure that that, that are that they're actually fine uh, on defense because Jokic is just like a lot better uh than than what people think he is um and then just the one last point on the nuggets uh, we've done a lot of nuggets chat but um <laughs> People don't realize too is that every time Jokic touches the ball, it's like a 1.2 points per possession. Like it just does not matter who it is. Like Aiton's probably like one of the best defense defend uh, post defenders in the league. Doesn't matter. Like you give that dude the ball. Worst case scenario, he takes a 55% floater. It's like it's kind of like Durant, right? Like uh, you know, Durant's going to get a pretty good shot. Jokic is going to get an even better shot. Like he's going to hit Aaron Gordon at the rim for a dunk. He's going to hit Michael Porter Jr. for a three. Or he's going to take a 55% floater and then probably get the offensive rebound like 15% of the time. So it just yeah. like every time he catches the ball, it's, a, it's a, like an amazing yeah. position. Absolutely and amazing position. I, I love that point. And just to kind of close the loop on four overtime Jokic, he played 64 minutes in that game, turned around the next game, and uh, you know they lost. They turned around the next game. My and side he, just <laughs> he, he comes out the next game and he had a uh, uh, you know 38-minute, on 38 minutes on the floor, triple double. He was the player of the game, clearly, uh, and you know kept the uh, kept the Nuggets in that series. Uh, ultimately, they did not win because Game Seven was a rock fight, and uh, they lost the rock fight. That was one where I think the total closed in the 215 range, and 196 points were scored in that game seven. <laughs> so this is, uh, you know, this is something you know just to keep in the back of your head and. Um, well, I think we've kind of colored in the 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 colored in the lines enough about why this happens that we can move on a little bit. Um, anything interest you in the Eastern Conference, or are you mostly geared up to watch the West? Or, or just, I mean, just your like betting strategy in general. Like, how how do you think your how do you think staking should be employed going yeah. forward? Like game it, by game, series by series, a little it, bit of everything. Like, is it you know small? If you have a if you have an opinion, if you think the market's wrong, like. It's like shit. It's still early. We haven't seen the adjustments. The chess match hasn't started. Like it should be smaller entry points early and bigger once we know, or you know, heavier on heavier on series prices based on this, that, or the other thing. Like how, do, how does this how does the strategy get employed here this uh, 
like two months. These playoffs take forever. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I think like you need to think about the efficiency of the market from some uh, to some extent. Like the game by game market is obviously going to be uh, more efficient than the, the, than the futures market at this point. And so, well, I mean, at, at any point really, like just there's more money traded in the game to game market. So, you know, if you're looking to uh, leverage a position, you're trying to do it in the least efficient market possible. Like that's kind of my betting strategy in in every area. Like the NBA. Um, takes up a very small percentage of my of my betting turnover, uh, whereas like really shitty markets take up a huge percentage of my betting turnover. <laughs> um, and so, you know, if you're the thing is, is that you know, if you're right, you're obviously going to get paid a lot because you can bet as much as you want into some of these games. Yep. I mean, really any of these games. Um, and so, you know, can you if you can if you you know have some relatively strong conviction, um, and you also can figure out you need to figure out like the best way to bet it, obviously. Um, if the, often the game to game prices won't be perfectly correlated with the series prices, um, you know, because A, because of how things will like progress over time. And like some people can predict those better than others, but then B, just because like futures prices don't move with the market hundred percent of the time. Right. So like you have some chance of picking off, something that is not correlated with the, you know, with the game one move or, or anything like that. Um, I think there are some like traps to, to watch out for though. Like um, the Sacramento uh, Sacramento Warriors series and the game one price is not like all that in line with what you would expect given, given the, given the game one prices. And I think, I think, um, some of that is potentially the the narrative that the Warriors are harder to play in game one than almost any other team because they play so different to everybody everybody else. Uh, and that's like a, something that Zach Lowe talks about all the time. Like I, I've never tested it myself. Like I don't know if there's actual credence to this theory, but um, another good example of like a price being, I thought was really wrong was game one when they went into Memphis and Memphis mm-hmm. were like plus two or something and you're like oh wait like market ratings say that this should be like minus two like this is ridiculous and so i think possibly someone influential out there thinks that the warriors are better in game one than uh than what than what the rest of the market does and that's that's this is the future that's kind of the cherry on top too because won that fucking game and the question i mean because the question is the the relationship between the futures price, whether it's, you know, the series price or maybe even to win the conference or the whole thing and the game by game stuff, you know, like you say, there's not a perfect correlation, not only because they're individual markets and they might have liabilities, you know, long-term liabilities one way or the other, but like sometimes there's just such asymmetrical outcomes on certain games, especially early in the series. And I, and but the, like then you said it you said it. I was gonna say it you you nailed it perfectly it's like but if we get to game time and that still exists like somebody believes in it and it's somebody with money and yeah. you kind of have to respect that at that point some of it though is just market is anchored right like you know the game seven trailblazers you know, Trailblazers and Nuggets like that should have probably been 205 or 204, and it's got stuck in the teens because the game one was like. Well, and that's fair. I'm, I'm talking more early. I'm yeah, talking right, more right. early series. Um, I think late series. Okay, that that's, that's fair. Once, that's fair. Once you have the information, yeah. you know, you, you've learned a lot. The market's learned a lot. But early okay. series, like if something is 
you know, severely skewed in that relationship, it's, is it always just somebody is backing that with cash? Yeah. I, let me kind of pitch an early series question then and see if you guys agree or disagree. Um, so if I come up with a fair price for nets at Sixers, it's not eight and a half. It's a lot, lot lower than that. Um, and that's a sort of traditional basketball viewpoint. Um, and if you sim out, what is the seven game series? If this is a fair between these two teams, I am nowhere close to Sixers minus 1000 uh, being a fair price for that series. Does that mean that, you know, and, and I'm not, I guess I should look at the other side of the coin. I'm nowhere close to Nets plus 700 being fair. Did I bet that? No. Uh, I don't think that's a very good bet because I could see end of game sort of, you know, kind of crunch time playing out quite poorly for the Nets. Uh, and, you know, the situation arises where, yeah, these games are competitive. They're covering big numbers like that, but they lose in five. Like, that wouldn't shock me at all. They could lose in four. It wouldn't shock me at all. Like, the Sixers are just that much better when it comes to crunch time. That uh, And the Nets don't have an ISO answer, really, at all. Like, if it, if that's your if that's final two-minute basketball, like, that's that's probably not going to score um, unless they get, you know, there's just somebody just, you know, guts up and makes a shot. Um, but, you know, it's so basically I think better off, even though you have a, I have a bigger edge by the numbers on net series seven plus 700, like it's way, way more advantageous to take on nets plus eight and a half in my opinion in game one and go back to the well in game two. And then, you know, they're going to be small dogs at home in game three, you know, take, take them in that spot. Like you know, I think I'm probably just going to end up betting nets game by game under the assumption that it's going to be a short series. The Sixers are going to dominate in crunch time. Um, and, uh, you know, but at the same time, it shouldn't be an eight, eight and a half point spread. You, you have any kind of read on if this is a, you know, realizable strategy? Am I thinking on the right track or, uh, am I ultimately going to get fed my lunch by MVP? You're, I think you're in your own head, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, You've taught yourself in a circle. I think you're, I think like that follows the logic that we've been talking about is that there are two states, two, two possible game states and, and yeah, like. If, if they're going to play real basketball, if the two teams are going to play real basketball, then yeah, like maybe the Nets are a pretty good bet. Like, but once it becomes not real basketball, then, you know, good luck uh, to the, the, you know, the Nets offensive rating in isolation um, is going to be pretty bad. Uh, so yeah, like once it devolves down to that and it has to devolve down to that, like Doc Rivers is sometimes makes like, or misses adjustments. Sometimes he plays the wrong players, but like the other thing I think, just sorry to deviate again. The other thing I think oh. about this, and like I never, I, I kind of don't know how they fucked it up last year, but they also have Daryl Morey in the front yeah. office and some really smart people, like they make the coaching adjustments. The difference between the playoffs and the regular season, I actually think coaching matters. The individual coach matters less in the playoffs than in the regular season. And it's because it's the coach and it's the front office who are doing all the scouting and feeding the like, um, feeding sure. the you know light like what they should be doing with the lineups and who they should be attacking and what they should be doing it's not always just the coach the coach just has to implement the game plan whereas in the regular season the coach is coming up with the game plan daryl morey okay. is scouting somebody somebody and he's at the slot. Oh, you, you, okay. you'd, you'd never sit down with the whole team and be like all right we gotta we gotta break this down and really figure this out for when we play the hornets again in three months 
Yeah, yes, exactly. I know. I, I took something entirely different away from that. I took away from that Daryl Morey should bear more of the scrutiny for uh, Houston and, and Philadelphia <laughs> like struggling that. in the playoffs than James Harden should, <laughs> because you know this is she should be scouting a little better here, buddy. What's going on? Just um, more like he definitely needs. You know, he needs to bear some of the blame for for DeAndre Jordan playing over Paul Reed. Oh, whatever. Like, like that. That, see, like, like, that was yeah. Rivers that makes. Was, yeah, it's important that Rivers makes these decisions, but like. Daryl Morey can also tell Doc Rivers to like get fucked and not play. Like, <laughs> he's yeah. his boss. Like yeah. it, it always comes down to the boss. And like these dudes, these like front office dudes are so smart and they think about so many things, even more so than the coach, because the coach has to think about a whole bunch of other things. And so like when you have the organizational, um, the organization, it's the whole thing is looking at this one problem. They're going to figure out the answer to the problem. Whereas like, if you just have the coach figuring it, like figuring out um, the answer to the problem, the smart ones figure it out and the, the dumb ones don't figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and so I, that's why I think in the regular season, it's kind of more important than the coach. Okay. Am I being crazy to say that the Sixers front office is going to look at this series and be like, okay, let's not fire many of our bullets. Let's get into the end of the game at, with one possession and then uh, we'll just win. Like if I was, if I, you know, if I was trying to get out with, you know, the least amount of pain possible, least amount of, you know, again, exact opposite feeling about Embiid, uh, you know, logging minutes in playoff series, like the physicality does seem to impact him and he picks up nagging, you know, you know, he p- picks up nagging injuries that he carries into next, you know, future rounds. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would, I would put him in as much bubble wrap as possible and, uh, you know, cut open the bubble wrap with two minutes to go down too, and then, you know, win and get out of there. But I don't know. Um, also, also, the, by the way, I, I think Harden's not not right. But maybe that's just me. I I think he's I think he's probably a little sore too. But like, what do you need to do? All you need to do is like run. You need to like do a pick and roll and take two dribbles and then chuck it to Embiid at, at the free throw line. Once he catches sure. it there, it's game over because Claxton is too small. Too it's small. like yeah. so you know like, and this is another thing where when you have really really good players, um, then the other team it forces the other team to not just be like, oh, this guy's a good defender or he's a bad defender. It's this guy's a good defender against speed guys. This guy's a good defender against power guys. This guy's a good help defender. This guy's a good onboard defender, whatever, whatever, whatever. And like with Embiid, yeah, Claxton is probably like, maybe like a top five defensive player in the entire league across the regular season. Like, is he a top five player defending Joel Embiid? Absolutely not. No chance. Who's Um, number one defending Embiid? Probably. Probably, yeah, Aiton maybe. Aiden, Aiden, okay. Aiden is so okay. strong. In the yeah, that's a good call. That's a really good yeah. call, actually. Um, um, yeah, yeah, and like Brook Lopez gets like munched by uh, by Embiid. Yeah. Like they're just so you know. Yeah, I just don't think that Claxton's going to be able to do all that much against them. Okay, interesting. Um, any uh, okay controversial opinion here? I not a Donovan Mitchell playoff guy. Knicks aren't very good. <laughs> like they're not as good as their record. They're not as good as, uh, you know, like being a any kind of availed threat to win the East. Do you remember that two week stretch though, where Knicks fans were insufferable? Oh, surely, yeah, for oh, sure. God. Um, it's, but it's like, like when like, the Mets win like, the championship in t- April. Thibodeau's got some tricks up his sleeve. He's got some. You know, he's been around the block a couple times. Um, this is yeah, relatively talk about new award award market fuckery. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> no, it's, it's I think there's a case for the Knicks solving the Cavs over the balance of 
the early part of this series and making this longer than it has to be and maybe even stealing it. Uh, some of this is kind of postulating that um, Randall gets healthier as the series goes along. And some of this is postulating that Thibodeau realizes he's got to get Barrett the hell out of there uh, as the series goes along. Um, and I just think that if you have a, a closing five in games five, six, and seven, um, that doesn't include uh, Barrett and does include, uh, you know, a, a healthy-ish um, uh, Brunson, Randall, and quickly, like the Knicks look live to me over the balance of the series. They may not, you know, they may not cover game one, game two, just because, you know, standard basketball would tell you the Cavs should win those games. Well, do, um, do you still you fuck read with those markets though, Drew? I mean, the, the limits and liquidity are going to be shit compared to everything else, but we used to have a lot of fun with these. Oh, like sure. The over, yeah, yeah. over five and a half games, yeah, yeah, over six yeah, and a half games. For sure. Well, no, those, I think, uh, I, I I think really those think are fun just, markets to attack. I think you let the like Knicks that. get their brains beat in in games one and game two, and then you come in on some ridiculous prices for the Knicks to come back and win that series. Um, I don't know. You you have a read on how those teams match up? Yeah, like I mean, I'm not. I don't have a super strong opinion here. I don't know whether Donovan Mitchell uh, like isn't so good in the playoffs. Offensively, he's been incredible. Like, sure, yeah. Playoffs series sure. and like and For and sure. and like the teams have produced really well offensively with him. Um, the other thing I think is like yeah, if you're gonna trap Donovan Mitchell, even Mobley is like kind of the perfect guy to be your release valve, like. Okay. Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland's ability to shoot, pull up three pointers is like what unlocks Evan Mobley as an offensive player. He's like not that good of an offensive player if he, you know, has to just like fill in the gaps and like be a four man who kind of shoots threes and stuff. Like he's kind of bad at those things. But if he catches the ball on the short roll, he's got amazing feel. Um, he's a good one dribble play, like can finish at the rim from there. He's he's okay. really good. The other thing is that on the other end, I think talking about Randall, um, Evan Mobley's like built in a lab to defend uh, Julius Randle. Julius Randle, like Julius Randle's strong and like stronger than Mobley. So I might knock him back a bit, but really struggles with length. Um, and the other thing, like he's a bit of a bum slayer to me. Like if Randle can't get on the rim, then he is just going to like take these step back mid ranges and like okay. that's not going to, not going to work. So I, I, I think, I think from a matchup perspective, I like, I think Cleveland's going to be going to roll there. Um, Cleveland is the, you know, the analytic darling, the, the yeah. team hiding in plain sight from a, from a net rating perspective. The other thing is that even Mobley should have won a defensive player of the year, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, he he uh, leads the league in, in defensive RAPM. Um, and like the reason why he's not going to win is because A, he's on Cleveland, so no one really cares. But B, his defensive EPM is bad because randomly defensive EPM doesn't adjust for three-point shooting luck. And <laughs> teams shot like 39% yeah. with him on the on the on the floor and 32% on the bench. So yeah, I, th I think I think like I think Cleveland are gonna roll in that series personally. Okay. So uh I remember pretty clearly a handful of games that really mattered for Cleveland this year in the regular season. Maybe the most kind of the best example was Right after the All-Star break, they played the Nuggets. And they were the better team that day. They were at all the advantages you thought they would have. They they had them. Uh, and it didn't matter. Like when they came, when the going got tough, those guys just wilted. Uh, and I don't know what it is about Mitchell, but I've lost a lot of money on him in the playoffs when they absolutely were the better team at like bubble, the bubble jazz against the nuggets series. I, I was, I'm still like the, 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 all of the games they lost in that series. It was like, how, 
how, how, how did this happen? And there's just too much of that on his resume of like, how did you lose this? Um, last year's jazz is against the Mavericks. Like Luca didn't play half of those games or any of those. Games. I don't even remember, but like it, it, there was, there's just a lot of, um, like, I don't get why they don't show up at certain key times and a lot of inexperience, really, um, that has me concerned about that Cavs team. So I don't have any pre-flop uh, series anything. Um, I agree with the current. Actually, I think I didn't I, re, I didn't realize it was a five and a half point spread. I think that should actually be a little bit bigger for game one uh, if this is just a routine basketball handicap. Um, but I don't know. Something about them kind of spooks me. And. I, you're, all your points are, are fair, but... Um, I think the know. thing about Donovan Mitchell is he's been bad on defense in the playoffs. Um, sure. He's been really good on offense. Oh, yeah, and the Jazz no stunk, that, yeah. stunk on defense. They, they were just bad on defense basically every single year. Sure. And like a lot of that is actually on Donovan Mitchell. But Donovan Mitchell's been quite good on defense this year. And he sat down in a stance and like he went okay. on some... I think JJ Redick maybe uh, one time and he said that all he did uh, in the offseason was... Uh, do closeouts uh, and like that's all he did in the offseason was just like okay I'm just gonna like work on closeouts and I think defensively he's going to be somebody who's going to take it a lot more seriously uh, this year um, and so I don't think that they're gonna combust uh, on defense and so that's kind of why I think uh, I think offensively he's been really really good basically every playoff series so yeah um, if he can if he can guard uh, he should be should be pretty okay. Yeah. They I'm trying to remember the the exact uh, sort of scenario of last year's uh uh play in disaster for them too. Um for Cleveland's oh yeah, they were Cleveland. just like oh they were banged up and like they they they, they were a terrible team. I, I'd have no idea how they won so many games really like the <laughs> the first part of the season when they had Darius Garland and uh and Colin Sexton well no Sexton played like a tiny little bit but um, when they had Garland on the floor, they were like pretty good because they had somebody who could dribble. Garland went out for a bit there, and they like trade panic traded for Rajon Rondo. Um, oh, it was it was because uh, so Rubio and Garland were both healthy at the start of the season. They won a bunch of games at the start of the season, and then once they didn't have anybody who could dribble, they were terrible. And then Jared Allen got injured, and so their defense was terrible because Evan Mobley was too skinny to play center. So I think like last season is like not a great way to look at way to look at the Cavs. I think yeah, I, I do think that the Cavs are, are kind of a bit of a sleeper. Like, you know, can you really see them beating Milwaukee? Probably not. But like, um, they 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 have four like fucking good basketball players and then they sure. suck after that <laughs> <laughs> okay uh the other thing about them and this and we'll move on but like they just they were so underwhelming on the road this year bickerstaff i like but i worry about him as a playoff coach for whatever reason the organization overall i don't know if they if he's got the support he needs to problem solve puzzle solve whatever over a playoff series so yeah, I just am I'm, I'm buyer beware on Cleveland. Um, Who's buying Cleveland? Like a lot of people buying Cleveland. I guess yeah, I don't know. A lot of people are trying to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They saved a ton in that series. They, oh, yeah. oh, oh, I, yeah. I mean, I, people, I get this. I get the series. I guess I. I, did, I thought you meant for the East. Like, no, people. I, people East. I, uh, the sincere people with sincere opinions would say tier two is Philly, Cleveland level. After tier one. And, yeah. not, uh, and like I, I, I don't buy that really, but like 
you know, would I be like absolutely stunned if, if Cleveland didn't make the conference finals? Like, I'm gonna have to do. Power I suppose rankings. like depends how depends how like much <laughs> much much work absolutely is. Would you be that. yeah? Would you be more like? Would you be more surprised if Philly beat Boston or Cleveland beat Milwaukee? Because I'd be more surprised oh, if Philly sure. beat Boston. <laughs> no, I'm the I'm the other way for sure. Okay. I think okay. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, the Bucks, I think, um, yeah, the Bucks. Oh, you go. You go. Why, Bucks, why are we shooting? Do you trust Philly? the Bucks? The Bucks, the Bucks are interesting in that they haven't had really like have they ever had an amazing playoffs? Like, you know, they 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 beat some pretty bad teams on their way to winning the title, uh, sure. and like, yeah, they like rolled over Phoenix in the finals. But Phoenix, like, uh, were they were they that good? The oh, the just, thing, it was a, game five was very much in the balance. If that goes the other way, that's probably Phoenix in six. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the thing about the thing about Milwaukee is like, you know, can the the thing that a lot of people say is like transition basketball is not as valuable in the playoffs. And like mm-hmm. the study that I was doing today is that transition frequency doesn't actually go down really at all, and transition effectiveness doesn't really go down at all. But the final four teams, uh, Golden State, Boston. Um, Dallas and uh, and Miami, they all basically barely ever got out in transition in the playoffs last year. So like maybe at the highest highest levels, it matters a lot. Um, matters some more. Like you know, does it matter um, where uh, Giannis is just going to kill uh, again? You know, the Bulls or the Heat in transition? Like they, they don't know how to wall up against them. Like the one take I have with the Bucks. Well, I mean, what drives that? Now that that's bothering my brain a lot. Like what oh, what drives we'll, what? What drives the lack of transition? Like if you get, it feels like if if the transition defense is somewhat effort based, from what I can tell. Exactly. So, yeah, that, and, that's what and I'm asking. It's it's not it's not it's not what attention to detail. The other is really yeah. attention to detail is really really important. I think yeah. in defensive transition, like the thing with the Bucks, and this is kind of similar to the Warriors, and it's kind of strange because the Warriors are so finesse and the Bucks are so powerful, like led by their best players, right? Like you got the most athletic player in the NBA, and you have the most skillful player in the NBA. They drive, and but they. Um, are amazing at taking advantage of one mistake. If you like screw up a curry screen, like a back screen, and he gets a naked three pointer, like that's an eighty five percent effective field goal yeah, shot. Yeah. If you screw up a Giannis <laughs> coverage in like transition, or you know he yeah. catches the ball in the block against somebody who can't guard him, that's an eighty five percent effective field goal sh- percentage shot, right? But then also like if you guard Curry perfectly, he can't get that good of a shot because he doesn't really have like a knock you back mid-range game, like probably can't drive guys on the rim. Same thing with Giannis. Like if you have the if you have a guy who can stonewall him, like he what they end up doing is he just like sprays it for a three-pointer uh, and someone else like shoots, shoots a shoots a contested three. And so mm-hmm. like the difference between good defenses against the Bucs and bad defenses against the Bucs has like a way wider um impact and it's the same thing with the warriors i think if you perfectly defend the warriors they can't really score that much um but if you screw it up the in, in the amount of times that you do screw it up then it's like absolutely deadly um and so like the perfect um opposite of that is like kevin durant is going to get a 60 percent uh mid-range jumper no matter who you put on him and no matter how sure. you defend it and like you know, if you take away his rim shots, like cool, he's still even if you have PJ Tucker, he's going to take Tucker was 40, was gonna break a 45 percent, <laughs> yeah. right? Like the yeah. difference between his is like forty five percent to sixty percent, whereas the difference between Giannis is like thirty percent to eighty percent. So the Bucks look really dumb 
if you defend them perfectly, it's like, what the hell are they doing? Yeah. Uh, but if you, every time you screw it up, they score. So I think it, they are kind of like bum slayers a little bit. And I think at the highest, highest levels, I think Boston are going to beat. I think Boston. You can say boomer bust. They're boomer bust. Boomer, boomer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, 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 yeah, and it, it's funny too. Like you answered it an hour ago, the, the defensive effort, you know, on a, a team that, I hate to say like a team relies on transition offense because nobody you can't, that would be wild if it was like, Hey, we're, that's how we win games. But a, a team that's more, that was team, early Giannis yeah. bucks. Well, I mean a team, a team that's more reliant on it than an average team. It's just like, it's so stupid to think about it. Cause it's so simple. Like, Oh yeah. Effort, effort kills that. Like the, whatever the series well, it was, the, the big series, like the block LeBron's block yeah. that everyone like, that doesn't happen in December. It's just like people, people are, well, you know, you're not running back with that sort of effort. And like, just the, the, like you said, the attention to details to not allow those sort of transition opportunities. It's just going to not exist. No, I, God, now I'm all out on Milwaukee. Fuck. Well, the, 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 Milwaukee, the Bucks lost to the heat in the bubble because they had an Achilles heel defending the three that year. All year long, everybody knew it. No one, and it just never got exploited until that series. Um, and the Heat literally were like, "Attention to detail and transition. We're going to take make those baskets harder for you." And the Bucks literally had no plan B. It was like, what? It was like that was that that series melted my brain. Well, that's the thing. Like those coaches look so stupid, right? Because everything that's worked all year is like, oh, you know what? Like Brook Lopez, if you have him in drop coverage, and the guy tries to take Brook Lopez again, like it's a 40% less than 40% shot whereas like if Tyler Hero comes off an Adebayo handoff and Adebayo nails you on the screen like Hero's naked for a three-pointer it's like 65% effective field goal so they're like boom or bust on defense when they were playing drops as well and so mm -hmm. that like it makes you look like a like really stupid and then when you yeah. score you're like oh the other team just screwed up like oh yeah but like Bud probably put them in a pretty good position to be able to score there so I think like Milwaukee, at least previously, were that ultimate boom or bust team. Now they're a little bit different defensively. They have Lopez guarding up a little bit higher on the floor. They switch a little bit more now. Uh, and then on offense, they mix in a lot more uh, Drew, Giannis, or Middleton, Giannis pick and roll, where like that can kind of beat even good defenses a little bit because Giannis is catching the ball closer to the basket and he can get like a better, a better shot. So they've become like less boom or bust, but still I think against the best defenses, they're going to struggle to score. And then against like really good offenses that can bring Lopez quite high out on the floor. Um, and, and Horford is like a, a, a kind of Lopez killer. Um, yeah. Horford is probably like pretty good against him. Um, you know, like any Boston or, um, or Golden State or, series like that i think is gonna is gonna be pretty difficult for milwaukee okay is drew holiday one of the last underrated players in the nba <laughs> i used i actually used to think he was a little bit overrated uh that like it kind of didn't show up in the um in in the in the plus minus defensively like he's amazing at guarding the ball and, and like he's a guy in the playoffs that's like more valuable because of his ability to guard multiple positions mm -hmm. um but he's not someone who like is an amazing help defender Mm -hmm. um so i think like he's now properly rated i think his defense is actually like his offense has got way better recently he's like yeah. still makes like all these dumb decisions but he, he's got a way better offensively um and then the final the final piece about the bucks is that they uh they 
have a lot of different pieces that they can put out there. But like, can you, like, is Javon Carter going to play instead of Grayson Allen or whoever? Like their offense is quite good when Grayson Allen's out there. But then like, if it's not Grayson Allen, then who is it going to be um, alongside Lopez um, or like really their big four, like Lopez, Giannis, um, Middleton and and, uh, and Holiday. Oh, I suppose Pat, Pat Connaughton is the guy that that's like really important there. You want me to kind of blow some? So this is I did this experiment because I was curious for the uh, Laurie Markin and SGA most improved discussion. Like just just one all in stat and Darko, which I hold high regard. Uh, Markin went from like zero to a two point something, which was a, I mean that's that's an enormous leap. SGA went from like two to three or whatever. Like you know, it, it was pretty clearly marketing. And I was like, I wonder if there's anyone else that you don't really think about that had a huge leap this year. Drew Holiday was from, went from like three to almost five. Uh, and five, as far as Darko goes, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's you're like in rare air there. And Who, he got he only got three that? votes so far for second team All-NBA, four votes for fourth team All-NBA. Like he's probably not going to make an All-NBA team. Like that's kind of kind of wild to me. I haven't caught, kept up with most improved. Who's who's winning that right now in the Markkanen? But it's, it's pretty, very few votes counted, so it's tough to say. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty pretty done. I think uh, I think Markkanen's going to win. Oh, he's up win, thirteen to two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's done. only fifteen um, out of hundred, but that's a big. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, like, it's like, like it's, it's like getting the early returns from like New Hampshire or whatever in the presidential election. But it's what it indicates about the rest of the votes uh, is that yeah. yeah those thirteen are probably I mean the fifteen are probably pretty pretty predictive. Um, the thing about Drew being a uh, improve, being a massive improver this year, you can see a lot of that comes uh, uh, offensively, and like a lot of that is because he's handling the ball in pick and roll okay. uh, rather than Middleton. And so like yeah, that diversifies their offense. They get to do more pick and roll, but like when it's bread and butter time he's probably not going to be handling the ball. Like if Middleton's healthy, Middleton's probably going to be the guy handling the ball. So like, is, you know, is this improvement this year actually going to be sustainable because he's going to be playing a different role? No, basically he and him and Chris split and that, that, they diverged, they diverged. But yeah, like in terms of DPM right now, Drew Holiday is like fifth, sixth in the league. That's unbelievable. Um, Anyway, Um, Boston Celtics, let's end here. Um, Oh, I thought we could go the whole time without. Talking. No, we got to talk about the Celtics. You, as a Celtics supporter, I see you got you wearing your Marcus Smart shirt, and you got the you know the Celtics you know on the wall there. Um, something about the vibe with this team this year doesn't feel great. <laughs> I gotta say, uh, I don't love the way that Missoula has sort of been exposed as a coach down the stretch. But at the same time, like they kind of proved what they needed to prove earlier in the season and then just, you know, coasted. Uh, and so they should be more rested. They should be more playoff. Um, you know, just, just have more bolts in the chamber for the playoffs. Um, what is your read on the vibe of the Celtics? And do you think we're going to get to say mid May and people are going to be like, Holy crap, this is an all time team and crown them already. They, um, they have like an absolutely sick team when you when you look at it like Malcolm Brogdon being the seventh best player on the team is like yeah. oh my god that is absurd yeah. uh that's that the, the amount of talent that they have is crazy but like I think it I think the main thing that it boils down to is like is Jason Tatum like really that good of an isolation scorer um against like who who can he pick at and like can 
you know, is that is that going to be a viable enough strategy in like the last two rounds of the playoffs? Uh, Jason Tatum trying to trying to score in isolation against the other team's worst defender. Um, I don't think he's added that much uh, from that perspective this year. And so, like, that definitely worries me. I still think their crunch time offense is, is like, quite concerning. Uh, defensively, I think they're going to be, like, amazing. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I think they they require the other team to have um, some picking spots. And, you know, like we saw with the Warriors last year, if you can put five or four good defenders and one, like, passable defender out on, out on the floor, I think they're going to really struggle in isolation. If you can only put three and... Um, and there are two picking spots, then they're probably going to be okay. That's probably the, the main thing I think for the for the Celtics is, is is who they who they face. Playing normal basketball, the best team in the league, and it's not close. I think. Uh, well, maybe not close is, is a little bit of a stretch, but I think playing normal basketball, they should be you know at least a one at least a one and a half point favorite or neutral against everybody. Okay, the data from the regular season would tell you this is now like rare air offensive team, combined with we know at full strength they are a defensive nightmare. Um, I mean, the, the the ISO stuff about Tatum is a very fair criticism. I will also say that when he, when he's a hot hand guy, he's a little streaky, and when it's going in, like there, I just I don't I I, know, I I could see very very clear one outcome of these playoffs is literally like by the time we get to the finals, the market's like okay, this is no one stands well, a chance against finals these guys. MVP price. It's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, is that market up? Yeah, I haven't haven't seen a lot of people talking about it because nobody will shut the fuck up about the the awards markets yet. So, (laughs) like, I just Bobby Portis got a six man vote. That's a thing. He did. He did. He got a first place vote from Ash. No, that's what I'm saying. That's uh, he's got his he got his finger on the pulse of the NBA. I don't know if you knew that. Um, the uh, no, so yeah, what 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 uh, as you step back and and give us uh, you know, just synthesize everything we've talked about. Uh, where we you know, what are we going to be what what are, are going to be the narratives come uh, come mid June? Uh, I think the Nuggets are going to be better than what people think that they are and so Jokic is going to be a little bit vindicated uh, come that. But then I also like I think and then I think Boston are going to be the team out of the out of the East who are, who are really good. Um, and then, but then there's also like the, there's also the scenario that like Phoenix walked to the title too. And it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. Of course they were the best team they had. Like, yeah. really, you just got to wonder though, like at what point Chris Paul's decomposing corpse holds them back. Um, Cause yeah, the, not West, gonna... the West has a lot of like, what if, you know, the Anthony, Anthony Edwards, uh, Anthony Davis heads to the locker room first quarter game one, like that. that the, or and then you know, Chris Paul too. There's so many people that are just going to get injured. I, I might just. Yeah. I'm still. I'm still going. Well, Chris Paul. Still going mean, be, Chris Paul is just playing at a pretty poor level. Well, he's also due for an injury. It's been long. The other thing is that, his, but his backups suck. So like, back, Chris Paul right. might not be that good anymore. But like, he's still like. He's got to be out there, um, yeah. Yeah, like the, the other dudes who, who have to play. So, like, yeah, they – betting on Phoenix is – you know, you talk about – you talk about, like, um, picking up pennies in front of the uh, – in front of a uh, steamroller. Like, you know, yeah, like the, the payout – the payout's a lot better than, you know, these these uh, minus 1,000 shots or whatever they, they, were, they were consistently talking about. But, like, you have to dodge a lot of injury risk uh, with, with Phoenix. Phoenix is maybe the most – 
possibly the most injury prone contender of like the, the, the last the last while definitely the most injury prone favorite that we can that, that we can think about in the last 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 few years that's a fair point um I, I put my final four together then drew what do you got Cleveland Philly Denver LA and by Denver LA I mean Denver Lakers oh you couldn't have Denver Clippers I guess <laughs> I'm I think I'm most okay. jacked like I just hope we don't something fucking stupid doesn't happen like I want Sixers Celtics I want to watch that I want that to go seven I think maybe that's my only wish I don't have any hope for my real futures I have I told I told Noops this too I placed a I have some futures on like the Hawks and from like preseason for some reason at a big number I, I feel like there were some like Durant rumors or something it gave me um I ended up. Was there a Durant rumor to Dallas at some point oh, preseason? Yeah, so yeah. then I had a bunch of like I, I put them in different times too. So it was the buttons with the cash out button. So then I had all these Dallas futures. So when they got Kyrie, they actually got equity. Like you could, it, it was like a dollar nine on the dollar. And I asked somebody, I'm like, I should just cash this out now, right? He's like, Yeah, you're getting your money back. Like, please do this. So I guess I'm glad that happened, but. Otherwise, I'm just cheering for the Hawks. I guess if I want cash, <laughs> doesn't doesn't seem like a good way to financial freedom. I wouldn't say so. Are you sitting on any futures? We didn't really talk about that, Drew. Uh, I asked I asked Shipper. I don't. I got some, I, I got some nuggets nuggets and some Celtics at like yeah. what is like those are good market it price. Yeah, but like they, yeah, that's it. Like they could win, but like that they're, they're certainly not. I wouldn't. You know, would I make them again right now? It's like yeah, maybe I don't feel amazing about them. Well, I mean, yeah. but if the, if they're better prices than current, you can be a little happy. No, they're, they're like they're about where like the the Celtics prices is, is better than what it currently is, and the Nuggets price is worse. So yeah, mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll I got see. some Grizz. Um, Grizz is Grizz is good. Yeah, I got some. I got some Grizz at some good numbers. Um, oh, I, I did have some Lakers too when it was like Kyrie might go to the Lakers because I thought in my head I'm like that's like the one motherfucker who could like lock down Kyrie's yeah. crazy and make him good. So I bet I bet some Lakers at like thirty or something. That's not great. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I got Grizz to win the West, um, which has got some equity, not a lot. Uh, and then my strategy all along was just to wait and try to get the best price on Celtics because I kind of thought a swoon was coming down the stretch. And um, then I never played it because the market consensus around Milwaukee being amazing solidified so solidly that I think you're probably going to get a good price on Celtics in that series. And I did the map of Philly Milwaukee series rollover and it's going to be better than the current number or any number you could have gotten all season basically on the Celtics. So I think I'm just going to. Th- who do you think? Who do you think's the best? The best team still in like in the NBA? Guns, guns to the head. Like yes, one, Celtics. one team. Who do you think's the best? Celtics. Yeah, I, I think it's the Celtics too. I have Celtics uh, one, and then I have a Celtics one, and then I have a whole mess of teams kind of in the who's second best. I think Phoenix is the only. Well, I mean Milwaukee, you could potentially say, but I think Phoenix is the only other team you could potentially say is uh, is a could better be better than the Celtics yeah. right now. Yeah. 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 The injury risk is scary with them for sure. Um, yeah, and Chris Paul just in general not being an effective playoff player this year is very scary for them. Um, but it may not matter. Like he might not have to have much of a role. So. Fuck it, I'll be a Celtics fan. <laughs> I need to have a future. That Green has team. A chance. Oh, I just hate that whole city. 
<laughs> the roads are too skinny. The tunnels are dumb. There's a bay right in the middle of it. Food was good. What's the, what's the fan. current number on the Celtics? Uh, it doesn't matter. Price doesn't matter if they win. 322? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Bucks, for what? Bucks being shorter than the Celtics in the futures market is kind of crazy to me. I have the Bucks closer to my fare on them is closer to five to one. Well, isn't that just plus two eighty five? That's a product that's of having a, Philly on their side, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, that, yeah that's yeah, it. Path. Like, like, yeah, the Celtics yeah. Are, are probably better than Milwaukee, but the path is, is yeah. quite a bit harder. Yeah, my series, my series fare for Celtics Bucks is going to have Celtics favorite, and almost certainly they'll open dogs unless something crazy happens. I would guess. Yeah, right? that would seem to. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I could see the. I could see the Celtics being favorite. Like, given especially given that they have to go through right, Philly to right. get there, um, their rating can increase like relatively, relatively okay, um, largely. So, yeah, I could. I could see the Celtics opening favorite in that series. Uh, yeah, yeah. I will say this: last year, injuries, fatigue, all that stuff in the playoffs tended to. I thought diluted and kind of made the playoff product a little worse. Um. You know, the West especially was not especially, you know, it wasn't very fun last year. Um, the uh, the fact that we went through the regular season this year and there was such an emphasis on lightening the load on these guys should create really, really good product. Um, you know, so I think that kind of being a little concerned about injuries and stuff may not ultimately matter much. Like we could see some, you know, the good teams kind of just get through, be healthy and and really impress. Um, yeah, how many good how many good series are, like are you like truly excited for Nuggets Suns? Uh, Nuggets yeah. Suns is big. I, Bucks, say, I, named, I named one. There's yeah, probably one in Bucks, the West. Celtics is. I don't know if if the Lakers yeah. just keep it up and like Davis is good, both on both ends well, and he's not hurt. Like Lakers, Lakers was, with a deep run. Those are fun series, no matter what. Yeah, Lakers Memphis is like by far the best first round. So the yeah. far, by far the most interesting first round series. I think. Yeah. I and I don't know that I'm. I have. I'm. I'm starting to accumulate quite the uh, quite the little uh, um, Grizzlies position here uh, against the Lakers because I'm not anywhere close to this current market still. Um, and which I uh, think is the right. I think that's the right. Opinion. Yeah. Like. Um, but yeah. Like, would I be stunned if the Lakers win? No, absolutely not. No. No. It, yeah. It, and the late, the longer it goes in the series, the less great I'm going to feel. Surely, because I think there's a big chunk of outcomes where Grizz win relatively easily. Yeah, and if, it does, if that doesn't happen, then I'm going to be like, okay, now I need some coin flips to go my way. It's not going to feel great. Um, but the um, um, I, as great and as entertaining as a, like a Suns Nuggets series is going to be, I don't know that I'm going to bet a lot of it. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. so there's kind of a split here where it's like the best series might end up being like the ones where, you know, they don't aren't actually that entertaining. But I just feel like there's a huge edge. Like, like the best the best series last year in the playoffs was the Celtics over the Nets. <laughs> like that was fucking awesome. <laughs> like the rest of the playoffs after that was, you know, like, you know, things went sideways on me, so I didn't really Heat enjoy Philly. them. But uh Heat Philly knowing it that Embiid and broke his broke his fast was, was pretty That fun was too. pretty incredible. Yeah. That was pretty <laughs> yeah. incredible. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. All right. Well let's wrap up here. Great job. Thank you. Thank you for all your time. I appreciate it. And uh you know, best of luck in the playoffs. If people want to track you down on the old uh, Twitter.com machine and uh, and be entertained by your token, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, hope, yeah. Hopefully, I won't hurl yeah. any abuse at any anybody. Yeah, while. of course. And if you yeah. if you come across any rorts, you know, slide them into the the DMs. We're all about the uh, rort, rort shopping. So, um, the uh, the 
rest of the summer is going to be interesting, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, I'll uh, after 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 that we log off here, I'll uh, be stopping thinking about the NBA for a little while, and I'll be thinking about New Zealand basketball, which is uh, it's the real good stuff. That's right, and uh, yeah, man, we're we're only a year away from really kind of grinding up some swimming models uh, and really ramping up. Uh, yeah, you texted uh, me like what for... a month ago, <laughs> like, hey, do you know anywhere else besides Bookmaker <laughs> that has like betting or swim lines? I'm like, fuck no. Like, I no just, uh, I just can't booked an Airbnb. Just booked an Airbnb for for Paris. Um, to, oh, uh, to be there I for, that. Like, I I don't care how much money it costs me going to Ledecky versus McIntosh versus uh, versus Titmus oh, uh, versus Erica Erica Fair with a New Zealand's uh, New Zealand's greatest swimmer as well. She's got no chance of, uh, of featuring in the medals. But yeah, uh, like I don't care how much money it costs me. I'm going to that right. that that race. That's the uh, that's the. The female version of the um, 2004 Popov versus uh, yeah. Thorpe versus Hackett versus um, versus uh, Phelps in, in Athens. Yeah. I, got, I, got, I got one more year to, to We're more work my way up guys, the. Uh... Actually, aren't we? <laughs> Fuck, <laughs> yes, remember that? I was on vacation. Yes, it's I like do. three in I the do. morning. We're watching Omnium cycling, Omnium women's to... Omnium. Yeah. What was it? The Japanese. The Japanese woman was the medals? favorite, and they were at 27, and I had, had yeah, was under 27 and a half. Yeah, and they were favored. For the and then an American the last American event of the whole won, damn yeah. Olympics. And then oh, yeah, the girl who twenty-five won. to one. Yeah, twenty-five to one. Yeah, price. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I got I got one more year to work my way up the org chart at NBC, and you know they send me to Paris to cover the swimming. So we'll see if that works out. Yeah, yeah. That was that was, that was always the grand plan. Was always that was always the grand plan. We'll see. Yeah. What what's the what other race at uh at um in the Olympics do you think is is going to be the best one? Men's hundred freestyle. Dressel versus Popovich versus I uh, versus get, Chalmers. I don't get a good read on what's going on with Dressel. Yeah, I mean he's just like a little bit fatigued, mentally fatigued, right? But yeah. they they all they all it's happened to everyone, isn't it? Yeah, like yeah. Uh, Adam Pete Adam Pete's done the same thing. Sure, um, sure. All these dudes are out. Popovich is going to roll in that, right? Yeah, I think so. 40, I think so. 46 4 or 46 I'll 5. Te- I'll teach you guys so. about taper off the air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think Dressel's probably going to underwhelm. If he ultimately, if he gets back in form and shows up, that'll be a gift for the US because uh, I don't really think it's likely. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think for, I mean, women's, the women's 200, 400, 800 are the ones that you got to circle. Those are going to be yeah. incredible. I think Macintosh is going to roll. Oh, I think Macintosh versus Tippis in the 200 will be great. I don't think Macintosh can win the like like Ledecky's just going to win the 800. Uh, and then the the thing is is like can Macintosh break the world record in like six events? Yeah, she's got, she's already got the world record in the 400 AM, the the, the 400 free. She's going to break the world record in the two in the two AM. Does she break it in the two fly? Does she break it in the two free? Yeah, um, you know that's like. It's pretty sick. She's she might be the best. She might be the best swimmer. Like she might end up being the best best uh, female swimmer of all time. Ah, that's big time. That's a big time statement. Uh, Worlds is in Fukuoka, Fukuoka. Japan, yeah. in the middle of July. Be careful, you say that. What's it gonna What's it gonna take? <laughs> what's it gonna take to win the four hundred freestyle there? Three fifty five. Obviously, Macintosh is three fifty six zero. I know. Uh, yeah, I think she's on the ascension. So I would say it's yeah. gonna take three fifty five. Yeah. She is. She is yeah. something different. She's sick. <laughs> For the people who stuck around, the hardcore. Yeah, actually, talk. the the, the viewer yeah. count has gone yeah. up while we started. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck is happening. Also, I was waiting for Dan for just. To, I was waiting for somebody to end the show. I forgot I'm producing today. 
it's Popovich all good. Bre- does Popovich breaks the 200, 200 free world record at, at World Champs? 142.00 uh, or something. He's 142.9, I think, uh, this year. Popovich so is Romanian, Andy, if you didn't already know that. And he <laughs> oh uh, he, a, he was a little bit, bit – was he had an underwhelming – Tokyo? I haven't done. I haven't done well. Um, like, and has been, yeah, yeah. He's been incredible since. Um, Broke the hundred free world record. Uh, yeah, his two hundred. His two hundred in Budapest last year was What's pretty. The, the Fukukawa is that, is that Japan or what are we talking? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Noops hit me with the uh, location of the Billie Jean King Cup. Asked me where I thought it was this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I said it was a, it was a uh, suburb of Dallas. Kazakhstan. The other one that goes down is King Cup that much. Other one that goes down is Leon Marshon breaks uh, Michael Phelps' 400 IM record, which was that was like that's you know, due. That was the sickest race. Yeah. yeah, that's due to come down. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I lost yeah. a lot of respect for Phelps after he lost to that shark. <laughs> <laughs> do I do. They had a betting market for that. Talk about your soft market. You can bet on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the old five dimes. Did you ever bet at five dimes back in the day, or was it gone by the time you really got to the? You could to the mix? you could bet at that sort of stuff in uh, in New Zealand. Actually, New Zealand was yeah, you, it was a it was a country where you can bet it you know everywhere. Uh, but yeah, I never 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 was betting at five dimes. Um, yeah, too early for me. Was that Marshawn your parlay? Four, God damn it! I'm trying to end the show, and I'm. Uh, was that in your parlay? It was like Putin oh, yeah. gets re- re-elected. Putin gets reelected. Parlayed with the Phelps. shark beat Phelps. It was like OJ uh, gets parole. Ol- OJ gets parole. Uh, that was a fucking uh, Mayweather over Mayweather over over McGregor and uh, Joey Chestnut to win the hot dog eating contest. Yeah, yeah, put them put put them all together. I got uh, even money on that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm hitting the music. And and as you know, when you start parlaying those things, the limits go up for some reason. <laughs> Why that happens, who knows? But uh, you want to get good uh, exposure on some rort, you got to find a couple of links to put it with. That's it. Yeah. Play the music, Andy. Let's get out of here. We're, we're, we're calling it. This is good. It's fun. I'm jacked for the playoffs. Appreciate you coming on. We'll see you guys next week. Hit a thumbs up on the way out. Rate, subscribe, review, all that jazz. See you guys. Outro. That was, uh, it didn't feel like a two hour pod. That went, oh, and, there's so know, much in a, in a, so in a much blur. I know. I think it's we covered. We gave it fair. We gave it fair coverage, and I think you know, process stuff we hit on was pretty, we didn't pretty talk important. About the Kings. Yeah.